You're listening to audio from the church at Alden Bridge in the Woodlands, Texas. For more information about our church, visit our website at tcaab.org. Well, we just uh, heard a, a reading, an Advent reading, talking about how Israel looked forward to the coming of the deliverer, someone to save them. And most of the Jews at that time had no clue that it would be God himself that would come to save them from their sins. They thought a deliverer was coming to save them from their enemies. If they, if they really understood that it was God that was coming, there would be possibly a different reaction because the day of the Lord in the Old Testament was a day of judgment. It was a day of reckoning for a sinful people to then be judged by God. And they'd be a little bit more nervous about that. Well, how is it today that we can sit here and look forward to the coming of God, to the coming of Christ, to his return? We can do that because of his mercy and because of his grace and his long suffering and the forgiveness he gives us for the sins that we have committed and those that we're going to still commit. This is a time of year when relations are sometimes strained as families get back together. We certainly had an interesting year this, this year. And uh, perhaps there's some relationships that need to be healed a little bit. This is a great time of year to do that as, as families are together more than they are typically throughout the rest of the year. This is really an opportunity to strengthen relationships. And one way to do that, a very important way to do that, is through forgiveness. And we're going to talk about forgiveness, the forgiveness that God has given to us, and then our responsibility in that. So if you would open your word with me to the 18th chapter of Matthew, we'll be reading starting in the 21st verse. The setting is uh, a gathering of the disciples with Jesus, probably in someone's home, possibly in Peter's home. And uh, Peter approaches Christ, starting in verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Now, in those days, the Pharisees taught, the leaders of the church taught that you could forgive sins up to three times, even of your enemies, but you don't forgive a fourth time. So Peter's saying, should we forgive seven times? He's being magnanimous. He's being very generous in saying that. And Christ says, not seven times, but 77 times. And What Christ is really doing is he's creating a parallel to something that happened back in Genesis. When Cain slew Abel, Cain then got nervous that people would take vengeance on him. So he went to the Lord and he says, people are going to be looking for me. And then the Lord said, if anyone visits harm on you, I will repay them seven times. Well, then fast forward to Cain's great, great, great grandson, Lamech. And Lemek is in the process of bragging to his wives about what a tough guy he is. And he says, if anyone has vengeance on me for anything, I'm going to revisit vengeance on them 77 times. 
So here is Christ, as recorded in Matthew, saying, no, 77 times of forgiveness, not vengeance. And some of your translations may say seven times 70. And the Greek translates correctly either way. But the point here is, is it's unlimited forgiveness is what Christ is directing us to do. Because it's hard for us to even get, forgive more than once, right? To forgive someone twice for the same thing, we're starting to say, well, what's going to change here? But Christ says, no, it's unlimited forgiveness. Let's continue reading in verse 23. This is Christ speaking. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. May God bless the reading of his word. A few points of clarification. 10,000 talents is what the wicked servant owed. A talent was the largest measurement of currency in those days. It was 75 pounds of gold or silver or some precious metal. And we, we value gold by the ounce. 75 pounds is a lot. 10,000 talents would be 750,000 pounds of precious metal. So this is a, a debt that no servant would really ever have. But Christ is saying this is a debt that is absolutely beyond what anybody could ever pay back. By comparison, a hundred denarii, one denarius was a day's wage for a common laborer. So it's a little bit over three months wages. And there were two types of prison that a person might get thrown into. One was a work prison where you'd be part of a work crew and that prison gang would go out and they'd do work and the prison would get paid for that money and some of that money would go back to the prisoner to help pay off the debt. But the prison officials didn't necessarily want the prisoners to get out of prison, so they wouldn't give them all that much money so they could keep them in there longer. The other type of prison was really focused on torture, to torture the person until they felt like there had been enough torture to compensate for the debt that was owed. But the point here is, either way, the person is due to go to a very long time of great suffering. Jesus starts out the parable by saying, therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to, and he goes on and tells the parable. So this is about 
the kingdom of heaven. And whenever Christ talks about the kingdom of heaven, he did that 31 times in Matthew. He's really talking about those people that have given their lives to Christ, those people that are Christ's followers. He's talking about Christians. He's not talking about the wicked other people. So this servant that behaved poorly was a Christian. He had turned his life over to Christ. And when he said, I will pay back all of it if you give me the chance, well, that's like us. There's no way he could pay back, just like there's no way that we could ever pay back God for the sins that we have committed. Well, servant did not, was not able to pay back his uh, sins, so he suffered some consequences. God had originally forgiven him, and the king was the one that would suffer loss. Just like when we sin, God is the one that suffers loss. But he forgave, and he expects us to do likewise. In Colossians 3, verses 12 and 13, Paul says this, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Forgiveness is important to God to restore fellowship between man and God. How are we reconciled to God? I mean, if we violate God's perfect commandment against sin, sin is corruption. And how much corruption can God stand? If you go out and have a meal, how much corruption would you like in your meal? How much rottenness? How much salmonella? How much germs would you like in your meal? Well, that's the way God is with sin. I don't want any sin. So God pays for that through the perfect sacrifice of Christ. He pays our debt so that we can be forgiven by God, reconciled to God, and have the peace that God promises. Forgiveness was the hallmark of Christ's ministry. He forgave numerous sinners, and even on the cross, people that had not asked for forgiveness, he said, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Christ modeled forgiveness and expects us to do likewise, to be forgiving, to be merciful, to seek peace and unity through mercy. In the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 7, says, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. So forgiveness leading to reconciliation and peace is important to God. And just as God has forgiven us, we are to forgive others. Well, what if I don't want to? What if I'm very comfortable being irritated with this person and I don't want to think about them? I don't want to go talk to them. I just am annoyed at them and I'm just very comfortable with that. I mean, in the Old Testament, it talked about justice, right? It talked about an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Well, the same God of the Old Testament is the God that we have today, so doesn't that still apply? And until I get my, my eye or my tooth from this other person, I'm not going to be comfortable with it. Well, what did Christ say about that? Matthew 5, verse 38 through 42, Christ says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. 
Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. In the Old Testament, when God said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, he was not condoning retaliation or revenge. He was limiting it. Remember Lemek, who said, I will repay 77 times anyone that gives me a hard time? That's the way we are. Right? Someone hurts us, we want to hurt them even more. We want to escalate the conflict rather than forgive. That's our first instinct. And so when God said an eye for an eye, he's saying, if you lose an eye because of someone's uh, maliciousness or carelessness, you don't go kill the other person. An eye is only worth an eye and a tooth is only worth a tooth. He is limiting retaliation. God expects us to be merciful and to forgive. Let's look at the Lord's Prayer, which is in Matthew 6, starting in verse 9. The Lord's Prayer. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now there's a lot of good stuff in that very short prayer. Treat God as holy. May his will be done here as it is in heaven. Give us our sustenance, our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. Keep us away from temptation. Keep us away from sin. But in all of that, where was Jesus' emphasis? We don't have to wonder because if you look at the next two verses, Jesus says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. A couple of points. When Peter came to Christ and said, how, much, how many times should I forgive my brother? He's talking about other Christians. This doesn't say brother. This says others. You must forgive others, right? And what are the conditions on which you must forgive others? If they apologize, if they repent, if they stop doing whatever they're doing? It's unconditional. There's no... There's no thing that the other person has to do that allows you to forgive them. You simply are to forgive them. And one other point, this is not about salvation, right? He's talking to Christians. He's talking about that there will be consequences. And to a Christian, consequences is not getting kicked out of the kingdom, but there will be consequences. How many of you have done something and then something very bad happened as a result of that, and you knew that this was something you shouldn't have done, but there was a consequence to that. doesn't mean that you lose your salvation. Unforgiveness is sin. It's always rebellion against God. It's putting our feelings over God's commandments. In Matthew 6, 15, it says, if you do not forgive others, he will not forgive you. Isaiah 59 Verse 2 says, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and God. There's a distance now where God is a little bit further away. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. When you pray, do you sometimes believe that God is really not listening? Now, he may not respond because he disagrees with what you're asking for. 
But he also may not be listening if there's some hidden sin, including unforgiveness in your heart. Consequences could be separation from God, could be prayers are not honored, it could be some other discipline. Hebrews 12 says, do not forsake the discipline of God. You know, a uh, loving father will chasten his children. We've talked about this thing of forgiveness, so let's define what we're talking about. And I want to first start by saying what forgiveness is not. And forgiveness is not forgetting. If we consider God's perfect forgiveness for us, Isaiah 43, 25 says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. I will not remember your sins. Does an omniscient God forget? No, but he has a very selective memory. He chooses not to remember. He chooses not to bring it up. If he wanted to, he could certainly recall it. Likewise, when we forgive, it doesn't mean we, we can't remember what happened. It means we choose to not bring it up. We choose to not shame the other person by putting in their face again and again. Also, forgiveness is not staying in a position of being a victim. It doesn't do anybody any good if someone slaps you in your face, you turn the other cheek and you stand there while they bludgeon you. All right. That is not helpful. Each time that person sins, that's adding a sin that God has to deal with. It's putting more sin on the offender, and it certainly doesn't help you. When Christ says, turn the other cheek, he's just saying, don't retaliate. He's not saying, stand there and take a beating. Forgiveness is not an excuse for standing up for what's right, especially when others are victimized. Isaiah 1 verse 17 says, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. What kind of society would we have if on jury duty, everybody always forgave the offender? Said, well, we're supposed to have mercy, so regardless of what the person did, there's no consequences. We can forgive what's happened against us. We don't have a right to forgive what's happened against someone else. If someone has hurt someone you care about and that impacts you, you can forgive the impact on you, but it's up to that person to forgive who the offender was. And finally, forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. It doesn't mean that everything's fine. Sometimes there's hurt. Sometimes there's a bruised relationship that needs to be worked on. Forgiveness is the first step in reconciliation, but it doesn't mean that it's some sort of Instant breakfast, it's going to happen immediately. Well, what is forgiveness? It's giving up the right to retaliate. It's forgiving a debt. Whatever is owed is, is forgiven. It's giving up the right to get back at someone. Giving up the right to hold a grudge, to hold something against the other person. And if we look back at uh, the verse out of Matthew 18, verse 35, he says we must forgive from the heart humbly letting loose of our feelings of injustice towards us and putting those feelings behind us. And one of the toughest struggles is to forgive from the heart. It's one thing to say, I forgive you. It's another thing to mean it. So the offense is no longer an issue. So it's no longer tempted to, to bring it up. Every time this person does something that irritates you, you say, well, yeah, I remember when you did. No, we can't do that. It's been forgiven. It's been forgotten. Forgiveness from your heart is treating others as though nothing ever happened, even though you both know it did.
Ultimately, forgiveness is about leaving justice to God. So, if unforgiveness is a sin that impacts our relationship with God and and which can result in consequences and impacts our relationship with others, why do we resist forgiving so much? Why is it so difficult for us to be forgiving? Why is our first instinct is to get even or to get back at someone? Well, forgiveness costs us something. We have to give something up. There's a visceral satisfaction in getting even, of settling the score, of, of winning a conflict, of proving we were right, of defending our honor. But if we stop and think about it, if we're talking about defending our honor, what sin are we talking about? Could pride be something that is, is driving what we're doing? Is that our motivation? Some offenses might be more than just uh, a, a disrespect or words. I mean, you could actually lose something. I had an uncle uh, who I hope is in heaven now. I don't know. But he was kind of a tough character. He grew up in the uh, tougher part of Pittsburgh. And uh, each day he would get in street fights. When Pearl Harbor was bombed, he moved to Honolulu to help them rebuild the the shipyards. And I can always remember the, getting... Uh, notes from him or letters or cards because he always signed them Uncle Hash House Handlebar Harry Hank Lane the Hermit from Hawaii and my sister and I dearly loved him but we weren't allowed to be around him because he was such a rough character he was a special uh, special forces consultant to the army special forces and he would go behind enemy lines in various wars all throughout Southeast Asia he'd be missing for two or three weeks or sometimes a month or two at a time and we never knew what he was doing or where he was. His day job or his night job in Honolulu was he was a bouncer in a Korean bar. And whenever he was looking south, his nose was sort of looking southwest a little bit because he was in more than one scrap in his life. He knew how to defend himself. Well, one night, a man broke into his house and was stealing a large amount of money. And Harry caught him. And of course, Harry's first instinct was justice. But he recognized the man was someone that worked in the same building he was, he was in. He never had talked to the man, didn't know who he was. But he confronted him and said, what are you doing? And the man told him, and he said, you know, if, if you'd have needed the money, I would have loaned it to you. And if you couldn't pay it back, I probably would have given it to you. Here, take the money and don't do this again. Well, I don't know if Harry ever got his money back. But I do know that he established a relationship that was very different from the one he had or he didn't have with this man before. They understood each other. They appreciated each other. If we forgive, we must set aside the right to revenge and sometimes we might not get back what was lost. And that's what Christ modeled on the cross. Isaiah 53, 7, a very familiar verse. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before his shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. We must value the relationship with others more than our desire to get even, more than our desire to prove ourselves right. The Pharisees tried to prove that they were good people by what they did for God, but God was interested in relationships. And forgiveness is the foundation of any relationship. We resist 
forgiveness or forgiving because we think it'll cost us something because it might be awkward. But we gain a chance to draw closer to God, to model godliness, and a chance to restore a relationship with others. Now there's an alternative to forgiveness, and that's anger. And anger leads to bitterness. In Ephesians 4 verse 26, Paul says, be angry and do not sin and do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Don't let it stay long. Unresolved anger leads to bitterness and bitterness leads us away from God as we focus on ourselves, our ego, our pride, rather than turning it over to God and then rather than trusting God for whatever situation is occurring. Bitterness ultimately is a lack of faith that God's in control. Bitterness gets in the way of forgiveness. We've been warned we must forgive if we expect God to forgive us. You know, bitterness also impacts our health. We have a hormone called cortisol that gets released when we're angry. Causes our blood pressure to go up, puts pressure on our heart. Anger causes ulcers, it causes depression, breaks up relationships. Bitterness is a very poor alternative to the peace that forgiveness will bring us. Well, let's look at the process of forgiveness if we've been offended. Forgiveness is a process, it's not an event. It's a process of aligning our hearts with God's will to be at peace with others. And it must be real and it must be from the heart. And that means we don't just say, yeah, forget it, I forgive you. And we're still steaming inside. We're still angry at the person. But we know we're supposed to forgive, so we grit our teeth and we say, you're forgiven. That's not forgiveness from the heart. Forgiveness must start with a humble reflection. We should ask ourselves some deep questions like, for minor annoyances, for disagreements, is my personal pride involved? Am I just focused on myself? In Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4, Paul said, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Is pride involved? Am I focused on myself? Another question, am I trusting God? Sometimes God is at work doing something that will not be obvious until later. How many times have you questioned a situation and then years later you realize that that was for the best? You realize there was something going on that you didn't understand. Think about Joseph, the son of Jacob, that his brothers left him in a pit to die and then they changed their mind and said, oh, we could get some money off of him, we could sell him. They sold him into slavery. He ended up being thrown in prison for years for something he didn't do. And yet when he confronted his brothers about it, he said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Because God used that to bring Jacob and his family out of an area of famine where there was no food to eat into Egypt where there was plenty of food so the nation of Israel could grow over the next 400 years in Egypt into the mighty nation it became. Are we trusting God to be in control? A third question. Even if I'm truly harmed, do I have the right to defy God 
and remain bitter. Christ paid a dear price for our souls, an incredible price, and we're to follow him as Lord. Following Jesus involves valuing what he valued, and he valued forgiveness. So forgiveness starts with humble reflection. A second part of forgiveness is it requires a a decision. We have to, to decide to submit to God, even if other persons do not repent or do not apologize. What does God's word say? In Romans 12, verses 17 through 19, Paul says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will, pay, I will repay, says the Lord. Can God effectively deal with those who have done something against us? Not only is God more righteous, but his consequences are probably a lot better. Hebrews 10.31 adds, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Leave justice to God. We should stand up for what's right. We should stand up for the rights of others as the Holy Spirit convicts us. But we're to let God stand up for us. We have to decide to submit to God. That's a decision. And we also have to decide to value a relationship more than trying to win a confrontation. Our normal reaction is to defend ourselves because the focus is on us. If we focus on God and value others made in God's image more than winning whatever conflict is happening, we have to be careful to defend, to not defend ourselves, to not focus on our ego. We need to be able to turn the other cheek. That's what God has commanded us to do. We're to take the initiative to seek reconciliation with an attitude of grace and forgiveness. Forgiveness can lead to a time of healing, which can then go to a restored relationship. And restored relationships tend to be stronger. Those of you that have been in relationships for a long time, in marriages or close friendships, you know that there's times where forgiveness needs to happen. It could be minor things or major things. But once forgiveness happens, you understand each other better. You appreciate the other person. It's just like a bone that's been broken. Where that bone heals is actually stronger than the uninjured bone was. Forgiveness is a process. It requires humble reflection. We must decide to submit to God and value relationships more than being right. What if someone sins against me repeatedly? Do I still need to forgive them? 77 times is what Christ said, right? He's really saying it's, it's, it's not limited. Romans 5, 8, Paul says, but God shows his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So here's Christ dying for us. We're not even done sinning. We're talking about forgiving someone where the sin is in the past. Christ is forgiving us while we're still sinning. We must deal with our hearts and let God deal with others. We cannot change the hearts of other people. That's God's business. If someone refuses to apologize, put it behind us. And we also need to notice that whether we are the offended person or the offender, God directs us to move towards reconciliation from both directions. Those who have been offended need to approach the offender seeking reconciliation forgiving the other person. 
The victims have the responsibility to do what they can to heal the relationship. Matthew 18, verse 15, Christ says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. And for those who realize that they have been offended, I'm sorry, for those who realize that they have offended someone, they have the responsibility to go to the offended person and to try to make things right. God wants us to resolve the conflict from both directions, from the person that was offended and from the offender. There's a beautiful picture of this in 2 Chronicles 7.14, where Solomon had just finished the temple, and he knows that his people are going to mess up. And so he's praying to God. He says, God, when we mess up, we do the bad things, Will you forgive us if we come to you humbly, if we turn from what we've done? Will you hear us? Will you forgive our sins? Will you heal our land if, if that's what you've done to us? And God responds in verse uh, 14. When my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. That turning is the repentance. That's saying, to the best of my ability and with God's help, I'm not going to do whatever it was I did against you this time. I'm, I'm going to be different. I'm going to turn. I'm not just going to say sorry. Sorry is a sorry apology. It's, not, it's like, I'm sorry I got caught. Or, I'm sorry you have, you have two sensitive feelings. No, you say, I'm, I'm not going to do this anymore. And then God says, I will hear from heaven... I will forgive your sins and heal your land. So the person that has been offended says he's going to listen. He's not going to go, well, I don't want to talk to you. What you did to me, I, I don't even want to hear it. No, I'll listen. And then I will forgive from the heart. And then let's work together on healing the relationship. When my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, bring God into it, and seek my face, seek the person that uh, has been offended. And then turn, repent. Then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. Powerful. Ephesians 4.26 again. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. You could also say, don't let the sun go down on your guilt. If you realize you've offended someone, go take care of it. Well, we all want to be forgiven. That's, that's a good thing. That's a relief. To be freed from the, the debt of guilt. But to forgive others is harder. But if we want forgiveness, we must practice forgiveness. Mark eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus says, And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. To forgive others is godly. To reflect God's character. To be in the image of God. To show God's love to others. And to stay close to God. John MacArthur once said, forgiveness is the highest human value. And I really like what Charles Haddon Spurgeon said. To be forgiven is such sweetness that honey is tasteless in comparison with it. But yet there is one thing sweeter still, and that is to forgive. As it is more blessed to give than to receive, so to forgive rises a stage higher in experience than to be forgiven. To be forgiven is the root. 
To forgive is the flower. We're coming into the holidays. We will probably have opportunities to heal relationships, to strengthen relationships. And if there's forgiveness needs to happen, this is an opportunity. Don't miss it. Don't miss the chance to move from a dark place into the light of modeling the way God is, to be godly for another person, to forgive, and then to rejoice, right? In a weary world, we can rejoice if we model what God has shown us we should do, if, if, we, if we put on the, the image that God created us to be. Don't miss that opportunity. Well, let's pray. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church or for more sermon audio, please visit our website at tcaab.org.